Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio. Uh, we're excited to have Jamie Edwards back on the show. Uh, we first met her when she came on to talk about her adventures in Africa. She was on our Food Wine Travel Show with the International Food Wine Travel Writers Association, who we really love, and we do awesome shows with them every month. Uh, but Jamie is a traveler, world traveler. She's an adventurer. She's a photographer, an award-winning travel writer, and I encourage you to go to her website, I am lostandfound.com. So welcome back, Jamie. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you, Lisa. Very nice to hey. be back. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. I know you're joining our, our tribe of travel writers and experts. I mean, our experts go from lawyers to winemakers to writers to authors to musicians. So um, we've got a quite a, com- a big blend community of uh, podcast guests, and we're excited because you're going to be on a lot of different panels. I know travel themed, but probably some nature themes as well in there. Um, you know, so a lot, we always have something to talk about, don't we? <laughs> Absolutely. And I love talking. So oh, right good. <laughs> this is good. Now, now travel, I know you've done a lot of travel. You've also lived outside this country in Tokyo, right? And, That's um, and so did that kind of get you into really digging into travel, uh, maybe seeing travel through a different set of eyes and um, you know, the typical kind of let's do all the touristy trap kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of the reason why we took advantage of the opportunity to move to Tokyo uh, was so that we could explore parts of the world that we just wouldn't have had easy access to. We had been living in New York for many years and uh, our kids were both small, which meant that they were portable. So we packed our bags. <laughs> Put them in a suitcase and off we go. <laughs> really portable. Uh, they had no idea where they were half the time. We were there from when my son was six months and my daughter was two until oh, wow. for about four years. So we really made the conscious decision to get to live in a place where we could explore. And we spent almost every possible opportunity we could uh, somewhere else in Japan, uh, we went to Vietnam, Malaysia, Australia, New Zealand, uh, we ta- Thailand, Bali, uh, wow. Shanghai, Beijing. We, ju- we just traveled as much as we could because we knew that it was a really finite time in our lives that we would have the chance to explore that part of the world. But what it did do, to your point, was it really, at least I can speak for myself, gave me the opportunity to see the United States from the outside in. And Mm. to be a foreigner is very humbling as anyone who's been in a country where they don't speak the language knows. And it gave me a very deep appreciation for people who come to our country and don't understand the language or our customs. I feel like I'm Mm. more empathetic. That's a good point, you know, and it's hard because you can't just, well, now we have Google Translate, which isn't always correct, but it's, and, you know, it's always fun because, you know, even on our Facebook, the videos of, you know, the podcast, they decide what we're saying, the auto captions, and it can be kind of interesting what it puts out there. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, it does help. Um, but I mean, back in the day, you know, you were on your own, really. 
And, you know, phones don't work everywhere either. That's the other thing. If you go somewhere like you know, last time we were talking, you were up hiking the Atlas Mountains of Morocco. I don't know if they have cell service there. Um, mm. But, you know, places, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know, out in the middle of the Okavanga Delta, you know. Absolutely right. And when we lived in Japan, uh was right when, this is in 2007, 2008, was right when the iPhone launched. Uh, oh, wow. And it did not, of course, have the features it does now. And Google Translate was not something either it wasn't didn't exist or we didn't I didn't know about it. So we were struggling at times. But that struggle, again, uh, made it all the more exciting in some ways. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned earlier, very appreciative of other cultures, especially mm-hmm. here in the United States, when someone asks me for directions or needs help. I feel much more willing than I probably would have uh, Mm. before I lived abroad. And then that's part of the communication. And so you're also, you know, being a writer and a photographer, you're also trying to convey, hey, this is where I've been to help people travel. But you, in your writing, put people in your place, like this, not in their place, not that way, but in, in, (laughs) you know, you take them on your adventure so you can literally feel where, where you have stood and, you know, traveled those experiences. So they have some texture to it, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's like, it's like having a matte photo versus a glossy. Do we even have those anymore? (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. Uh, And I do find that that's why I like to write from a firsthand point of view, because I really want to tell the story about where I've been and what my family has experienced and pull someone into the story. And some places I've been are not on someone's radar and they never will be. But maybe sometimes I'll tell a story that someone thinks to themselves that they hadn't thought they'd wanted to visit there. Like, for instance, Finland, which I know that we're going to talk about here. Finland, I think, was not on a lot of people's radar. It wasn't even on ours. And since I've been there and our family went, a lot more people I know are traveling to that part of the world. Mm. And things have been a little bit more accessible. And I think if you can't go, reading about it at least gives you some information. And it's from someone who set foot there and not done it, you know, um, uh, read it or written it from AI perspective. At this point, we have to go like somebody actually was there. Uh, but the, you know, you have been to these far flung destinations and uh, tell, tell it just where, like, where are the craziest places you've been to? Do you think? Well, Finland, I would not, say not that everyone goes. Yeah. The craziest place I've been to recently is Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And I would say the other crazy place was Finland mainly because we went to Finland in the dead of winter where it was about 22 hours of darkness and, and I a lot of cold, very cold. And then um, within a year I had gone to Antarctica during their summer where it was about 22 hours of light and far warmer than it was in Finland. Uh, as you can imagine with it, with, uh, being all the way up in the Arctic circle. So we're, I really went from one pole to the other and had two, two completely different wow. experiences within a year. And those, both of those, uh, I would say are two of the most spectacular places I've ever been to. Wow. And it's, it's kind of like there's a race to get there now because, you know, the way climate change is changing glaciers and ice is, is melting. Um, and you hear everybody argue about it all, but when you go there, um, 
does it become clear to you versus what the noise is on TV and radio and all of that? It absolutely does. Um, seeing it in person p- does put it really in perspective. Uh, I, I think also I, I did a lot of reading about before I left for Antarctica about tourism in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And while tourism there, especially by ship, is becoming more and more popular, I believe last year still only a hundred thousand people went to Antarctica as tourists. And if you compare that to, I believe it was Paris had 20 million people visit. So 105,000 versus 20 million, of course, is a vast difference. But I do think that Antarctica is going to become more and more popular. Mm -hmm. And as it does, really have to have uh, treaties and protocols in effect to protect it. Uh, especially as climate change and pollution uh, are in play. I personally, having only been to Antarctica one time, had nothing to compare it to. But from what we were told, of course, uh, climate change is making uh, the region completely different. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The ship I went on to go there, and I believe a lot of ships are the same as the one I went on, which was uh, the Quark expedition ship called the Ultramarine, they take uh, sustainability and ecotourism very seriously. We had to wash our muck boots, uh, be- be- getting off the Zodiac boats back onto the ship oh. in a disinfectant. We were not allowed to kneel down on the ice or the snow when we were on the continent. We were not allowed to, they didn't want to even take a risk of bringing any kind of avian flu or any type of bacteria back onto the ship. So there was a lot of um, systems in place and I hope that it stays that way. Yeah. Yeah. To protect these special places, you know, now have you been to Alaska? I have not been to Alaska, but it is very high on my bucket list uh, or wish list. As I should say, some people find bucket list very morbid, but uh, my wish list, Alaska is very high on it, uh, especially Katmai National Park, where okay. I would really love to see the grizzly bears. Mm. Have you so been to Katmai? Not yet. We haven't done Alaska yet. Yet. See, we just have the big word yet. They should just put Yeti on the back of our cars. I think <laughs> that's, that's all we are. It's like, we haven't done it yet. Um, you know, but now outside of Tokyo, what was, you know, the, the first international destination for you? You mean before I lived in Tokyo? Yeah. Did you go overseas or was that the first? And then no, what that was wasn't that? the first. Uh, we, my husband and I had gone to Africa on our honeymoon. Oh, that's right. Africa. Yeah. You're, you're a honeymoon. Yeah. Our honeymoon. Uh, I did was lucky enough as a, a kid. I did travel, uh, quite a bit, but my first international trip was probably France in my early twenties. Cool. And I really fell in love with Europe. I think it's easy to fall in love with France. Uh, I did speak a little bit of French at the time. I have forgotten it all now. Uh, and that made it more fun. And especially if you enjoy French wine, which I do and did, was an exciting experience. I think that uh, there's really very few places I've been to that I didn't love in one way or another. I yeah. Even can't if it's think not your of thing it- as an appreciation for something. You know it's what I true. mean? I can't think of a single yeah. trip where I look back and say, I wish I hadn't gone there. Even the times where things went wrong or it rained the whole time because I chose the rainy season by accident. 
which happened in Thailand. It rained for a whole week, but it was wonderful. Hey, we got stuck in Vegas for a week because of a rainstorm. It was like a crazy monsoon summer storm. And the roads back to our our place, which was not far, were like three hours away outside Joshua Tree. Like all the little roads were flooded and we were in the middle of printing and I won a whole bunch of money and we didn't have to pay for anything for a whole week. <laughs> That's <laughs> the way to do it. <laughs> not that, you know, Vegas is, you know, the main kind of travel, but we did have a good time. So, you know, it was like one of those, like you're forced to have a vacation. But all I remember is all of our clothes smelled like smoke because you couldn't go do outdoor activities because it was pouring with rain. So we were stuck inside. And so I don't know if they have as much smoke as they did then, but I just remember walking around like a smoker. (laughs) (laughs) We did have, we had some fun. It's a mindset, uh, whether you choose to make the most out of a trip, even when things go wrong. Yeah. There are those who get annoyed and upset uh, and, I'm not saying I'm the most optimistic person on earth, but when I travel, I feel that there's always something you can take away from it. Always something you can find to do indoors if you need to. And my husband is English and it rains a lot in England. He says he does everything in the rain. If, if in England you didn't do something because of the weather, you'd never do anything. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's what they say in Switzerland. It's only bad clothes. It's no, you know, it's not about bad weather weather, only bad clothes that's right yeah exactly exactly you know we lived in england too and it did rain and then we went that's it we're going back to africa no offense (laughs) to england it rained too much for us after going from the equator you know so then we went to south africa but it's it is it is really what you make of it and i love england i absolutely adore england and all the history and just I don't know, the countryside. And it amazes me that they still have countryside, you know, know. and little quaint villages. And it's like they've managed to protect these areas that I think um, are just amazing, you know, to be able to have. So I love Europe. I mean, I've really, there is no continent I've been to I didn't love. And Antarctica was my seventh continent. So that was a pretty exciting milestone Interestingly, the the ship we were on, the expedition had about just over 130 passengers, and quite a few of those passengers had this as their final continent. So oh. I think I wasn't alone in that. But I think too that there's a lot of people who have no desire to go to Antarctica, which is fine. Uh, it's not for them, but for those who are really adventure minded, who like unpredictability, who don't mind being surprised by travel, and those who just purely love nature and wildlife, mm-hmm. there's no place like it. Mm. I want to go for sure. Is, and is it nature and wildlife that drives you to like to certain areas? Is it the food and the wine? I mean, is it all of it? Is it the culture? You know, when when you look at your focus, I know you like luxury. Now, I think we all want a little luxury, you know. I like luxury too, but I will say that my definition of luxury has shifted over the past decade or so. And I, you know, as well as I do, Lisa, that everybody has their own personal definition of what luxury means. Mm -hmm. And for me, it used to be about the food, the best restaurant, the best hotel. And I still like all those things. 
But somehow as my kids have gotten older, I've kind of migrated more towards adventure and maybe this adventure slash luxury. And a lot of that you can find in Africa and places like that, talking about national parks, going to places where you see wild animals. I have definitely decided that I am more driven by wildlife, photography, and adventure than I was 15 years ago. Because hmm. once you get it, you get it. Like once it, you know, it's that, once that mosquito bites you, you just want more. I don't know. That's weird to say. But I think that's true. true. Also, when I think back 15 years ago, my kids were very small and I couldn't take my kids to yeah. Africa when they were four and five years old. And I wouldn't have taken them to Finland in the middle of winter when they were that young. So as they got older, our entire family's taste changed. And when I ask my kids what their favorite vacations have been, and I did just ask this to my daughter recently, uh, she would say Iceland and Finland were definitely two of her top trips. And those were some of our most adventure and safari our three mm. most adventurous trips are are her favorites. And I can mm. see why uh, as a mm. 15, 16, 17 year old, why that's so exciting. Well, I think it's because it pushes you out of your comfort zone and you always learn something about yourself, another step, even if you fall down and pick back up because you can't stay down on the road. Like when you're traveling, you can't, you have to keep going unless you need to go to the hospital or something. That's a little different, but even still get the hell out. Uh, <laughs> You know, but and things happen, but um, travel does push you outside of that regular routine and it challenges you and it challenges you in not a way of going, okay, you're here. I'm going to challenge you and mess with you. It's not like that. It's, yeah. it's just, it's serendipity in a way and you, and discovery and it, it, um, your humility goes up. You you feel a little bit more humble in the world. Yes. And then you realize how big the world is. And then you feel overwhelmed and you feel like, oh, I can do it. Then you're like, dang, there's really a lot. Um, but you have and it. It's nice when it happens in an organic way as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was saying. It, it, it's not like the world is out to get you and, and shift you around and tumble dry you. You know, it's, it's really there to, you to an adventure. And when you do something you may be scared of, you know, is there anything that you've like going, okay, dude, I'm really scared about doing this and then gone through it? Like me and Bridges, I'm always like that. Is there anything like that for you? Yes. Yes. In fact, I sit here and talk a huge game about adventure, but I am a big, I get nervous about everything. I have anxiety <laughs> when I do these things. Yet I still have, I still want to do these things. I have a few, few examples. One, when our kids were very small, we took them to New Zealand. This was back when we were living in Japan. And although New Zealand is still quite far from Tokyo, it was closer than New York. So we mm -hmm. took our kids and we did a camper van trip where we drove around the South Island of New Zealand in a camper van. And every single day we did something where I thought I was going to die every day. Every day, whether it was getting stuck in some kind of crazy windstorm where our uh, camper van felt like it was going to fall over. Oh Another goodness. day we took, we were supposed to take a helicopter ride to a glacier. And when we pulled up, they said that it was too dangerous for the helicopters to fly. And we were about to walk away. And the man said, but 
I could take you up in a little airplane. And of course I was like, no, thank you. But my husband said, of course. So we go up in this teeny tiny. Oh my gosh. It feels like a mosquito of an airplane and we're like everywhere. And that was terrifying. But of course we, we made it, but we flew over a glacier and it was so exciting and beautiful. Wow. And, uh, another day we bungee jumped. Oh Again, not yeah. My, not my idea. My husband sort of facilitated that. So those are definitely things that you come through the other side. And even though I didn't want to do half of those things, I'm glad that I did do them. Mm-hmm. It's that little taste of life and death right there happening in the present moment. And they make you go in the present moment. You can't go, oh, let me look on my phone real quick while we go over a glacier at a tiny plane that could just go land it. You know, (laughs) you know, you're in it, you know, and I think that's something we crave is those kind of those adventures that you have to be wide eyed, open, you know, and awake for and and you really want to be because it's exciting. But also, there's a little fear factor in there. And it's good for us. It reminds us to not waste life, waste time. It's healthy. And all those stories, whether it's the rainy season in Thailand, the tiny airplane in New Zealand, they're the ones that make for the fun stories later. Nobody's retelling this perfect day that they had having ice cream and walking along the beach. You're telling the the adventure stories. So I think that the adventures when you come through it are what make the trip. And another, what reminds me of my trip to Antarctica, I went with my 78-year-old stepfather and I went together. And this was this past January. And as some of some of your um, listeners may know, when you take a boat to Antarctica, you cross through the Drake Passage. So oh, a, I heard that can make you like... Notorious passage of water. <laughs> and it's about 600 or so miles long. Uh, and I believe the sea is, they say, over 10,000 feet deep. But it takes two full days by ship to travel across it. So you don't see land. You're leaving the Beagle Channel. You're ending up on the Antarctic uh, Peninsula. You have two full days. And the weather, anything anything can happen in the Drake Passage. And there are what people call the Drake Lake, which means that you have this incredibly smooth sailing through it for two days. And then they have what's called the Drake Shake, which means that the waters are incredibly choppy and you can have anything in between. So my stepfather and I, we get to the uh, ship, we go through the Drake Passage and we have this lovely Drake Lake. It's a beautiful, easy passage. And then on the way back, we have the absolute opposite. Not only do we have the Drake shake, but what we have is what the people on our ship had said they had never experienced before as far as wind goes. Apparently we had, there's a scale for wind called the Beaufort scale and 12 is hurricane strength. And we were at an 11. So we had an absolute crazy chaotic journey back where we had to even be cabin bound for 10 hours. And when I tell that story to people, most people say that's enough to never get me on that boat. I never felt scared or unsafe, but I will say that having those two extremes made the trip for me. And I think my stepfather would say the same. It's so exciting to be a part of something that was 
alive nature it's alive yeah no we've been in hurricanes and and fires and all kinds of things and there's just kind of that adrenaline you know we were in saguaro park it was right before we were getting back on the road and a rattlesnake came went right over my shoe oh my goodness my hiking boot and and there was this little ramada that we were having our little picnic lunch and I ended up going under it. Well, in Africa, you walk with your sticks and you tap the ground. It's like, hello. Oh, don't do that to a rattlesnake. Oh, no. So we tapped. Well, it decided to come into the ramada, raises, you know, we had to jump out of the little windows. It was crazy. And then we get down to the bottom and there was another one. And but, you know, we were like, dude, we almost got nailed by a rattlesnake. And everybody was trying to, uh, then my car battery was dead. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then the, you know, we, I had the knight in the shiny white vehicle come. <laughs> and he was, he was our park ranger. He was a park policeman came out and, and jump started the car and helped because it was going dark. Of course, there's barely any cell phone reception. And then he oh, went how out terrifying. Snake was. But it was, oh, he was hot. I'm sorry, but that <laughs> dude was cute. And so finally, uh, it's one of our friends, we were supposed to get there for the afternoon dinner or something. We were late. I said, oh, I just encountered a rattlesnake. The battery went dead. They're freaking out. We get there. We're like, dude, it was so cool. A rattlesnake went over my shoe. And and everybody does not understand that. But to me, I survived. And I was so calm during the whole thing. Now I've had other snakes go after and, and I've run down the hill, up the hill, around the hill. And gone through it, but um, I should probably dead be dead now with snake encounters. But there's something about that acceptance now of like that there's a snake. Like hello, I hung out with a cottonmouth in in the Okefenokee swamp not too long ago, and that was the coolest thing. I was just like, dude, oh, I'm getting too close. Walk away, you know. So there's that healthy respect. But I don't know, you know, the big mountain passes, the bungee jumping, all of that, where it's like, ooh. Yeah, life is on the edge. It's good. Yeah, it does. It makes you feel alive, just like you said. And something else you said about having a healthy respect. Yeah. You have to have a respect for the wildlife and the animals and for and for Mother Nature, in fact. And it's, the cultures in the communities. That's the other thing. Yes. You know, you're not in a zoo and zoos should go away anyway. But anyway, I agree. That's all I understand. <laughs> see them in the wild so you can see how they really act you know what i mean once you once you go out in the wild you'll see the huge difference you know but i mean for you writing what what's your next destination that you're excited about let's see well right now we're in the midst of planning uh, another trip to scandinavia but this time in the summer Ooh. we're thinking of going to the lofoten islands which are in northern um norway So that uh, is another place where it's a family trip. We know our kids have already liked places like Iceland in the summer and they enjoyed Finland. And this is sort of a natural extension. There are a lot of interesting places you can stay that are fishing villages. uh, And they may not be fishing villages the way they had been once, but they've been modernized so that you can stay there and explore the Lofoten Islands and all their beautiful towns. So that's a place we're starting to plan for next summer, which is, I think, very exciting. We always, when possible, because we prefer 
the countryside or getting outside of the cities so Mm -hmm. much that normally when we travel, like in this case, we'll fly into Oslo, spend two, maybe three nights in Oslo, which is enough time for us to get a sense of the city. And then we'll fly up to um, the Arctic Circle and the Lofoten Islands and maybe spend a week there just absorbing uh, the culture eating new things, uh, very fish heavy diet, of course, uh, kayaking or things, hiking. So those are now the things that really excite our kids. And mm. I feel like we don't have that many years left where their schedules are going to align with ours in the summer where we can take these mm. kind of big trips. So we're looking mm. forward to that. Any tips uh, for parents in getting your kids out and traveling because I think it's so important for kids to, I mean, you're smart about like, okay, I'm not going to take my kids to, you know, Antarctica when they're four and six years old. Then number one, or, you know, they're not going to appreciate it like you would want them to. Right. Um, So planning trips according to ages and then kind of growing together as a family. I mean, do you think it's um, something important for families to do beyond the Disneyland when all of that, which is all cool, but to do something, you know. Yes, I do. Uh, I think that those, regardless of how old your child is, because like I said, we traveled all over Southeast Asia when they were very young, mm-hmm. even though they may not remember a lot of those trips, they do rem- They do as sort of a byproduct have uh, a lot of interest in different foods. Mm-hmm. They are willing to try new foods because we went to places where when they were four or five years old, there was no choice but to eat foods that they were not comfortable with. And we also were just not the parents. No, we were just not the parents trying mm-hmm. to find a place to feed them pasta. We said, try it. And yeah. I think because of that, they have a higher tolerance for trying new things and exploring new things. Uh, I do think that one tip I would have is to don't travel because you think it's too hard to get your kids from point A to point B. It is sometimes hard to get your kids from point A to point B, but once you get there, you will have no regrets that you did it. Uh, That is something I found that was um, very important. There were times that I had to travel with both little kids and it was really hard on the planes if that one was crying one was hungry but when we got to our destination all of that went away the trip was very worthwhile and like you said finding age-appropriate things as they grow up we used to take a lot of beach vacations at hotels because they'd have a kids club that we could Mm -hmm. put them in for two or three hours that my husband and I could have a little bit of downtime ourselves so looking for things that are not necessarily uh kid kid-friendly, kid-centric. There are two different things. Um, a kid-friendly place is great, but it doesn't feel like you're at a place that's just for children. Okay. But I think that uh, everybody has their own style of traveling with kids and that works for them. But for us, our kids have always been become flexible over time when we went to places where they had to sit still for a while or it may not have been what they considered fun at the time. But I think they learned to appreciate it. Do you think they learned patience from from that? They had no choice but to learn patience. They were on 12 hour flights often going back and forth to the United States. So patience 
and sitting still were something they had to learn relatively early. Not that they were good at it right away. That's for sure. But uh, those oh, things, who is even as adults, it sucks. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> but I think that some people get discouraged by the length of a plane ride thinking that it's just, they don't want to go through it with the kids, which is understandable, but that I had to do it with them. So I realized early on how, what benefits there were to getting my kids into new places. I mean, my mm-hmm. son, when we went to Beijing, my son was in a, he was two years, no, not even nine months old in a backpack on my husband's back. He doesn't remember Beijing at all. But I will say that he is studying Chinese and wants to major in Chinese and go to China, which could be a coincidence, but. Yeah, because you're open to it. I, I think you're still getting it, especially your formative years, you know. Um, I think travel is opening up, like, you know, growing up with different cultures and in different places, different foods, like you said. It was like, wow, this is cool. It's like, you, you know, it's like living in a storybook, you know, for a little bit, you know, doing that. It, it lets you know that there's possibilities and people other than yourself. I think that's a huge part of travel is to understand the other cultures around the world and, you know, different people. And, and you just have a, it breeds compassion, I think. Travel. Yes. Yep. It really does. So that's cool. That's cool. So you're going to have to have come on shows when we talk about family travel. We'll have to do that. And the adventure shows, I know, we'll put you on the adventure shows. we got a lot coming up. So we're excited to have you aboard the Big Blend Radio, our our community and our club, our family, and uh, everyone. I am lost and I am found.com is the website. But you also want to go to blendradioandtv.com because this week – um You'll find that one of Jamie's photos is the front cover of our big weekly blend magazine. So for the end of October, uh, check that out and, um, and it covers, it's the silverback. We can say it's the silverback, right? From Uganda that we talked about. So and that's another great family too. trip. See? Yeah. You see, and people wouldn't think that normally to take their kids to Uganda, you know, um, older kids, definitely kids who like to walk. Okay. Yeah. Cause you have to hike in there, right? Yeah, so that's cool. But man, going on a safari with your kids, I mean, come on. It's like the ultimate treasure hunt, you know? It really the, is. It the really skills is. you learn are, are incredible. So um very excited. Everyone again, I am lost and found dot com. I said I am lost and I am found. It's I am lost and found dot com. And of course keep up with us at bigblendradio.com. Thank you so much, Jamie. Really nice to talk to you again, and I hope we get to do it again soon. We will. We will.